Today, we're going to talk, before you sit down, repeat the topic with me, please. Say fighting, fighting. Bedroom, bedroom, blindness. blindness. You may be seated. I don't know if you've ever been in a church service where you talked about sex. I told you you don't come to church. I told you I warned you. So this is the week you miss. But since you made it, you streamed in. Today, we ask two questions. Are you blind or are you blessed? Say it with me, please. Am I blind or am I blessed? I want to start in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Because this verse gives us some great advice as we embark on this journey to understand something that's very awkward for, especially Christians. Their normal message is pretty um, narrow. It's don't do this and don't do that. With very little explanation. I want to try over the next four weeks to try to explain what the Bible says about our, our, our sex lives. And, but I, I want to say before I go any further, uh, the reason I chose the term uh, bedroom blindness is because it's a way of saying it without having to say that over and over and over again to kind of ease the language a little bit. And this is not going to be a PG-13 rate. It's going to be PG-1. So it would be simple enough where you get it. Some things will be a little coded, but it's designed to help you get the bigger picture. And it's, it's friendly. It's not, it's not meant to be in any way, uh, as I said, shock jock or embarrassing, but yet helpful. And, and I was 19 when I first heard a sermon like this. No one ever talked about it. It was almost as if, you know, you just kind of had to guess. And I didn't fully understand how you teach this. But I want to say the best place to start, I think, is in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Here's what it says. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there's anything that's praiseworthy or good, meditate on these things. This is what you think about. Find stuff to think about that's true. I want to argue that the Bible teaches us that a lot of what we're told is just not true. A lot of what we're, what's been said to us uh, about our lives in regards to our intimate life is, and sex and romance in particular is just not true. If it was true, I mean, I'd, I'd just say go for it because it's true, but it's not true. And there are stories in this room. There are people who, if they could testify openly, they'd say that's, he's right. Now, my personal testimony is I've been lied to by movies, by music, and by personal conversations, people have told me things that just weren't true. There, there were things I was told as a kid, you know, if you, you, you have bumps on your face, it's because you're not, you know, you're not uh, romantic enough with enough people. There was a constant barrage of lies that I was told as a kid. Movies told me that <clears throat> this has no consequence. You just meet each other, see each other across the room, and it doesn't matter what you do. And, there's no, there's no long-term consequence. There's no, nothing at all. Just go for it. I was told a lot of things in personal conversations by people who really didn't know. They were guessing. They did not have the credentials to advise me in this area of my life because they barely figured it out themselves. And so a lot of things I heard were passed down 
untruths. And I'm, I'm sad to say that the culture trained me, trained many of you to be bedroom, what I call bedroom blind, from youth. Now, understand that when I said bedroom blind, I want you to be clear that what I'm talking about is, again, the cultural influence. It trained me to assume that certain things were true and they were not. I was emotionally deceived. I was emotionally tricked. And you can tell that when you listen to a lot of these love songs. You know what you got to do? Play the love songs and then go look at the person who wrote the love song and see where their love life is. Just to say that, I mean, I, I get the words. I mean, I, I enjoy some of the music. I enjoy some of the language. It's just fun. You know, I wish it was true that all I needed was you. <laughs> It'd be great. Just, you know, you know, I can climb the highest mountain, but I can't get next to you. Remember that one? Yeah, well, okay, as if that's going to change everything. And there are a lot of people who think that. There are a lot of people. I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, I was, drawn, I was overdosed on this love stuff, and I'm not against it. I'm, I'm very much in love, very big believer in romance and all that. But, but you can be overdosed and, and lied to. It gets to a point where what I'm told is, is beyond the truth. There is power in romance. There's power in being in love. But there's a, and, and there's, there's a joy that you're going to see that God wants for all of us to have. There's a bedroom blessing. But you can be lied to, and you can create what is unrealistic expectations. And that's the next thing the culture taught me. But what I've learned in life is the car can get broke. You get married, and you think the car runs all the time. When you get married, you find out, no, the car can be down for six months. You're going to think about that for a while and meditate on that. <laughs> There are things that, things that happen. Tires blow out. Things just don't work. Everything just, man, you just go, Lord, help us. And now what do you have? What do you have in those moments when you have to go to work and, you know, you think you can just stay home all day and you can just, no, you have to work. You have to, you have to buy groceries. You have to cut the grass. You have to clean the house. The rest of life is in front of you. And so I think there's a moment where people think one hour of an experience and you forget there's 23 hours to go. 23 hours of communication, 23 hours of talking, 23 hours of being around each other. And when you have to deal with that part of life, that's the challenge. I often tell people, they ask me, how do you survive 35 years of marriage? I'll tell them it's very simple. I have a very simple answer. Uh, the answer came to me one time. I was in a, in a flower shop, and some ladies, I was buying flowers for Diane, and they asked me, well, how did you make it that long? And I said, well, you. First of all, you, you, sur you survive the climb, C-L-I-M-B, the climb. First floor, second floor, third floor relationships, that's easy. Hug and kiss, say you're beautiful. That's great. But when you get to the 10th floor, we got to clean up the house. The 11th floor is, do you have a job? 12th floor is, you know, what are you thinking? Now watch, you, 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 it's what you in your mind. And those are the things that make relationships difficult. How you communicate. How you respond to being offended. How you respond when it's not your way. Those are the things that make the marriage climb difficult. And a lot of times we discover we're good at one and two. That's why we end up breaking up all the time. Because we go to the first, second, third floor relationships and we, we break up. Six months, a year, two years. It's just amazing. They say the average couple that stays together before they're married six years um, they, 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 don't, they don't last more than six years if they live together before they're married. They're, they're, you, tend, you tend to just run out of steam. You know, you, you, when you get down to life, 
and you get down to long-term commitment, you get down to children, you get down to paying bills, you get down to all those things that make life work, it, it, it's, it, it's that moment that you start realizing, I have some, I've been told some things that aren't true. I have an unrealistic expectation. Do you really think that his muscles can pay your bills? You take his shirt off and you just sit in there sweating and fanning, oh, child, look, oh my God, I wish, you know, right. You wish what? To take care of him for the rest of your life? Is that what you're saying? No, he has to work. That, well, you're not thinking about that right now. Bedroom blindness. Say it with me, please. Come on. You can't even say it loud, can you? Can you? <laughs> because, because in that moment, you're raptured in that thought. Guys are in particular very vulnerable to this whole idea of unrealistic expectations. They think you're some movie. You're not. They think you're somebody on the computer who's a confused person who's paid to fool you. There are actors and actresses who, who get you all tuned up to watch stuff that isn't true. It's all untrue. It's all untrue. And they understand not only in... in Movies, they understand. They used to say sex sells. You know, and it's true. It sells to you. Selling you a ball of wax that isn't true, and then you fall, you fall into it, and before you know it, you think that marriage is optional. No longer is that the wonderful path to love and romance. And now, if you're not careful, your culture will train you that bedroom blindness hurts nobody. It's nobody else that's going to be affected, just you. That is, that is so untrue. If you don't think that's true, ask a person who's been sexually abused. Ask a person who has gone through that experience and say, did it just hurt the person? No, it hurt me and my grandchildren and my children and my family and my social life. A whole host of my life was changed by that experience. It doesn't just affect you. It rolls from you in pain and anguish. Our bodies, which is amazing, can easily be convinced, though, that bedroom blindness is okay for now. Bedroom blindness is a um, powerful uh, mindset. And in this study, when I say bedroom blindness, I'm talking about a person who is sexually engaged outside of a marriage context. It is my argument, and it was seen a moment in the Bible, that bedroom blindness basically is the argument that this is okay, married or not, wife or not, husband or not, you're violating the marriage contract or you're violating your own personal body, which I'll talk about in a moment. And our bodies, let me tell you, our bodies agree. Let me help you understand something about your body. Your body is not saved. Your body is a, is a car, it's a truck. It, it carries your spirit and your soul around. It's where you live. It's, it's chemically driven. That's how the doctor can find out what's wrong with you. He can x-ray it and see this is out of line. You, he can measure, take your blood work and can see what's in your blood, can see what's triggering things in you. And if you're, if you're not careful, you'll assume things about your body that aren't true. But I want to give you some advice. You ready? Um, before I read you the, what I call the big verse for the day, this is a big verse, but that's, this is one tough verse I'm going to read in a minute. But let me, let me give you this principle. If you do one, two, three, what happens? Say, say, if I do one and two, Oh, come on, work with me now. Come on, say, if I do one and two, do one and two three, will happen. three will happen. You can be saved. You can have the Bible. You can go to church. You can speak in tongues. You can speak backwards, forwards, any way you want to do. You can sing gospel. You can, you can dance gospel. If you do one and two, three will happen. And that's why Paul, understanding this, to the Corinthian church, a church full of this, full of bedroom blindness, full of people who were, who were used to as a culture, like me, I was raised in an environment where I was, listen to me, this is important, 
I was never told to not be sexually active, ever. I was just told I'm bringing a baby home. That's all I was told. Now, I didn't understand fully what that meant, but I just understood I was never told that. I was not raised, I was raised by godly, a godly mom who loved me, and, and, and praying people, they loved me. They cared about me. They taught me to be not steal, to be honest, all the good stuff. But in our culture, this was not true. And so when I came to Christ and I read this verse, it was, uh, if you'll notice under number two, the positive and negative signs of bedroom blindness, I never knew there was a negative side to it. I never knew anything about bedroom blindness. I thought that, you know, you love a person, this is what happens. 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Now I want to read this one verse, okay, there's two verses, and I want you to hear what the Bible says. Now this is a Bible discussion. I believe the Bible is God's guide for man, and so I'm telling you what the Bible teaches. Now, you may not accept this. You may say, no, Pastor, I don't agree with that. And that's okay. We can still be friends. But here's what I believe. Here's what the Bible says. You can weigh this out, consider it in your family, and see if, it's, if it helps you. Here's what he says. He says, first of all, flee fornication, sexual immorality. Now, I didn't know what fornication was. The New King James calls it sexual immorality. I, I never heard the word. The Old King James called it fornication. When I first heard this verse, I had to ask somebody, what does that mean? And they told me it means having sex before marriage. And I thought, oh, you got to be kidding me. Is that wrong? Is that, is that, let me read that verse again. Let me read that slow, real slow. Flee. Because <laughs> I never heard it. I just never heard it. Flee fornication, sexual immorality, for every other sin. It's a sin? Wow. And a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immoral fornicators, persons who fornicate, those people, uh, sexually immoral persons, Sins against their, his own body. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Well, that's news. And it was news to the people who read this. In Paul's day, this was news. Everybody was involved. Church folks, everybody. And then he goes on and says this. Do you not know that your body is a temple, is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? So your body is not just something you can just do anything with. You are not your own. Oh, boy, that's... Unique, unique language. For you were bought with a price. Christ died for you. So glorify God in your body. Man, I, I read that for the first time. I thought, wow, that's really special. And then and you hear a lot of people, they'll say, well, how in the world do you do that? Because if you're really honest and you look at your history and you get really honest before God, you say, you know, it's true. One and two always shows up and three happens. But the statistics by the time you're 19 are huge. 80% have fallen off the wagon. Why is it that so many people are off the wagon? Why? There are a lot of reasons why, and you've got young people in here today. It's fascinating. For one reason is you're waiting so long to get married these days. That's one of the reasons why. Another reason is you're so, you're so overdosed on, on sexual content that there's something that's in you that's the old English word used to be called lasciviousness. Can you say that word, please? lasciviousness. The word means to be lustful. It means to stir up unbridled lust. The songs, the music, the videos, the images, the everything, the internet, the phones, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. You can see it anywhere. Uh, the movie that came out, Shades of Grey, is an example of something they call soft, soft porn. It's that form of communication that's not overtly pornographic, but it's so close the images, the, and it's designed to rouse you up. And it, 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 it's done by people who understand you. you got, one thing you got to realize in life is the people who sell you stuff study you and understand you. 
They, they study you. That's why they lay the stores out the way they do. You ever, you ever wonder why they have all those candies at the checkout store when you get ready to check out? They got all this quick grab stuff. They sell millions of dollars of that stuff because it's right there. I need a Snickers bar. That's good. Oh, no, I need almond joy. No, I, I need this. I need this keychain. I, I saw a keychain I almost bought the other day. A dumb keychain. It was a dumb keychain. It's a little thing, and you put, you put money in it, and it's like you can put, you can, you, I thought, well, I, I keep my money in my pocket. Why do I need this keychain with money? Now, if you got one, I hope you enjoy it. But, you know, I, I may buy one. It's a cute little dude. But you understand what I'm saying. You just, you just buy stuff you don't need because they've studied you, and they know. And then they, they always say, this is, this is one of, I love this tagline, they say things like, did you find everything you wanted? You know that's a multi-million dollar question? Because people say, no, well, it's right there on aisle seven. I'll wait for you. Go right there. It's over here. Or I have it right here. Here, you know, people always ask for this. They study you. They know you. They understand you. They get what you're made out of. And they know that men are motivated by sight. They understand what, what turns you on your trigger. They understand what cranks up your engine. And so that's why you have to understand when I use this term, this includes digital and journalistic blindness. All this stuff is designed to keep you blind. And a lot of it's driven by money. They're trying to make money. They make money on this weakness in you. you, you you'll buy clothes. You'll, you'll do things to look like a certain person. You'll wear the tightest thing you can wear. You can't, I, I see women sometimes, and I'm thinking, that has got to hurt. <laughs> it's got to hurt. It's got to hurt. Ricky, Ricky, you know, Ricky, my son, he needs prayer. He really does. He, he, he was, some girls were walking by and had these high heel shoes on, and he, and, he, and Christina, together, they're not good together. You just, you have, even at this age, you have to separate them because they're terrible. And so the girls are walking by, and Ricky says, ooch, ouch, ooch, 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 ouch, ooch. <laughs> and so Christina says, boy, stop it, stop it. Because the girls, their feet were hurting. You know, that's, you know, some of you right now, you should take them off. They're hurting right now. You know, you, you just, you know, you just, you know, they're up on these, and then they're hurting, man. They're, and, you know, my daughter loves those high heels, too. But, you know, it's just, you know, sometimes you just, it's so tight, you can't pick up your keys if you drop them. You know, it's just... <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You just, could you get them keys from me? No, you know I can't bend down there and get them keys. Now. Don't be playing with me. Get my keys from me. You know, all that stuff so that somebody can notice how you're shaped and how you're made. And, you know, and, and, I, and let me tell you, I get that. We are, we are so impressed with that. You know, we sing about it. She's a brick. Da, da, da. Thank you very much. See? <laughs> how y'all know that song? How y'all know Brick House? See? And you know, you know what it's all about? It's, 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 and he says the numbers and all that, you know. And, and I just studied that the other day for research purposes, you understand. <laughs> but but, there, <laughs> but there's, there's, something, there's something about the songs and the music and the message that pulls you in and, and it, it, it convinces you of things that just aren't true. It's just, it's just not true. I mean... If it were true, if it were, but it's just not true. And all these images and all this stuff pulls you in and blinds you. And then what's interesting is when it comes to marriage, you're, you're, it's, it's, it's different. The Bible says this in, in, first, in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, English Standard Version. It says this, people, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled. There's something special about the marriage bed. There's something special about being with a person whose commitment with me goes beyond the moment, beyond this event. 
And that the, whatever consequences come out of this event are fine because we're together, we're committed. This is not some, some secret moment where we're hiding from people and we've got to be apologetic. As a matter of fact, in the Bible, when you have this great event, Songs of Solomon is one of those great books where, you know, if you read it, you just have to buckle up a little bit, if you, especially if you read it in a modern translation, because it's very, very, very strong language. And, and, and part of what, what's being said in there is that, that God really doesn't want us to be ashamed of who we are sexually. And then there's a healthy balance. And I mean, it's, it, and, and you read the, the, the story, mom and dad, everybody knew they celebrated the wedding. They, they, they took you back to the, to the marriage bedroom. It was all, it was amazing. The family knew. Everybody was like, yay, this is a great moment. And, and, but when, what happens when you're blind is you, you get lost and you can't see. And then it does things to you and your loved ones. And I want you to notice with me, the Bible says, let me read this again now, Hebrews 13, 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the, the sexually immoral and the adulterous. The word adultery implies that this is the violation by a married person. One of the biggest mistakes you make as a single person is you think that once you get married that you, can't, you, you won't have any issues with bedroom blindness, and you're wrong. There are a lot of married people, men and women, who are bedroom blind. They are as vulnerable, if not more so because they've tasted the fruit, and now they have this appetite, and they really get lost. This inability to be fulfilled in, in one relationship. The Lord gave me a very strong word to me, and I'll talk about this more next week. Uh, I'll never, you'll never be able to, I'll never be, it came to me like this as a teenager. You'll never be able to be, I'll never be able to use you if you don't have control of your sexual life. I can't be trusted. How could you trust me? I mean, anybody can be a target. And that's the tragedy of it. And when you go to prisons like I do now and do these prisons, prison tour I'm on, it's amazing how many of them, a third of the people in the room in there are in there for some sexual, sexual violation. Huge hundreds of, hundreds, thousands of people in this state. There's over 50,000 in Georgia in prison, 50,000 people. And, 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 and a large percentage of those people are in there for some kind of Bedroom blindness. And it's really tragic because at the end of the day, you, you, you see, when, when you see them and they, they ask the, during the Q&A and they we're talking, uh, I, I, they look just, Diane's biggest statement is that looks like this person, that looks like that person. You, you think they're abnormal? No, they're people just like you. They just cross the line. See, bedroom blindness doesn't know a boundary. It doesn't know I've crossed over. And it becomes cultural and accepted. And the consequences are profound. Let me show you what the consequences are for some of those. Here's what he says. There are four, five things I want you to quickly think about. What it does to you and what it does to those you love. First of all, it takes you out of God's perfect will. You will never have God's perfect will in your love life if you're bedroom blind because you can't, you can't be satisfied. You can't be fulfilled. You, you, you God, even who God can give to you, who God can bring in your life is limited. Because if he brings a woman in your life and she's got cute daughters, well, then they're at risk. And if he brings the guy in your life and, you know, he's, you know, he may have a good-looking brother and, you know what I'm saying? If you're not careful, the whole world, you're at risk to 
You can never experience God's perfect person for you. So sometimes you get the third and fourth option. Some of you say, is that what happened to me? Could be. Because this problem is so prevalent that you limit who, who, will, even, who will even be with you. It's really interesting. Uh, I, I said this in our men's meeting earlier this morning. Church is a place where people bleed. And, and generally, if you bleed, you can recognize a bleeder. And so they come to church and they can, they'll find each other. They'll find other people who are bedroom blind like them. And they'll, they'll, they'll meet up and become friends. And before you know it, they tell bedroom blind stories to each other. Well, you know, I used to really be bedroom blind, man. I tell you, boy, Pastor Sermon, Pastor Rick preached about Yeah, and then she said, yeah, I was blind too. I, was, I, was, I used to like being blind. I used to enjoy being blind. I was blind for a long time. I've been blind since I was 12. I was blind a long time. I mean, my, everybody in my family blind. I'm still halfway blind. I can see a little bit. And he said, well, I'm kind of blind, too. I can't see too good either. What you doing tonight? <laughs> and before you know it, you got right in church. I mean, it's, it's, and, and believe it or not, it's a place for where hurt people gather. And if there's, not, if there's not honest spiritual management and growth, then it becomes a place full of this. And it can be, it can be any kind. It could be any kind of blindness. It could be same gender, cross gender. It doesn't matter, man. People don't care. And it's, it, it's hurt people. And that's why next week is going to be so fascinating because I'm going to talk about how it happens to churches and how it happens in the life of a leader. It's a fascinating study. But let me finish this. It takes you out of God's perfect will, number one. And then number two, it distorts the reality of a relationship with a person. It distorts the, your your your. The reality of what a relationship means, I've said that already. Number three, it can cause you to ignore the potential consequences. What can happen? Number four, it can create long-term, this is so important, don't forget this one, long-term memories that are hard to balance. It's all about putting stuff in your mind. It's all about giving you these memories. It's all about looking out over an audience and seeing your mistakes. It's all about walking through the mall and seeing mistake number one and number seven and number two. And being ashamed, and, and it's all about shaming you. It's all about that. It's all about making you hold your head down and say, I wish he'd finish this message. Because you understand the power of memories and how to balance them. And how not to, to people ask you a question. Simple things. You know her? Well, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's just a person in the mall. Just a person in the mall. You know who that is. <laughs> There's something about that whole bag of memories that, that, that's designed to make you feel bad about you all your life. And you are a good person. You are a good person who made some bad choices because you were bedroom blind. And you were blinded from youth. And, it can, it, and the last thing it can do is it can cause profound professional and family consequences. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Say profound, profound. family, professional. No, say professional and family consequences. How many people have lost their jobs? How many people have lost positions? How many bosses have been fired? How many companies have made bad choices because it was centered around people who were bedroom blind? They didn't manage well. They got lost in their relationships. The stories have been publicly known. You've known many politicians, leaders, company leaders. 
national leaders, international leaders. But what I want to do is close this with two people that paint the picture. There's nothing like a person putting a name to it. There are two people in the Bible that were bedroom blind, and what's amazing is God gave us their name, addresses, and phone numbers. <laughs> the two guys I want to talk about say David and Solomon. Come on. David and Solomon. Father and son. Now I, want, now, I want you to notice this is a family problem. I want you to notice that David is a guy, King David of Israel was a guy who had an obvious problem with bedroom blindness. Now, he covered it over by marrying people, but it's obvious if you, as you read the scriptures I'm going to show you, he had a problem. David, by the time he was 30 years old, had three wives. <laughs> 30 years old, he had three wives. His whole relationship issue, I summarize in what I call four signs of David's bedroom blindness. There are four signs of it, and the first three all go together. The first three are just a series of verses I want you to read on your own, but I want to summarize it for you so you can see. Let me start at the first verse. First of all, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 2. So David went up there, and his, how many wives? Two wives, Ahinoam and the Jezreelites and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. So you got a total now of two wives, but really there's three. The third wife he doesn't mention. Michal was her name, and she, was, she just was not um, his favorite. Some think she was. Some declare her to be. But she could not have children, so her name doesn't appear on the list of wives. That shows you how strongly they viewed women who did not have children in this culture. Somebody sent me a beautiful uh, email and asked me, uh, they said they couldn't have kids and they wanted to know what I thought about it and the, were they being judged by God. I said, no. I said, everybody doesn't have the same gift. Now, in her case, there was some judgment attached to it, but that is not normally the case. And I want you to say this. There's not, I, I, in response, I said, don't, don't blame. You can, some people can sing. Some people can dance. Some people have kids. Some people don't. And there are a lot of people who have kids who, who are now rethinking it. They, would, they, 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 they were surprised that they had a lot of expectations that didn't turn out like they planned. And I said to the person, you're God's gift. Use the gifts you have and change the world. Well, in this case, Michal, who couldn't have kids, is not mentioned. But I, I want to go back a little bit, and I put a note in here I want you to look at. It says, this does not include the, the two wives that David had. This does not include the, the almost marriage to a lady named Merib, uh, if I can paraphrase the rest of it and let you read it on your own later. Merib was the daughter of Saul. And Saul, remember, stopped liking David after David killed Goliath in chapter 17. Then David started being liked by everybody, and they wrote this song about him, and they said David has killed his 10,000, Saul his thousands. And so then Saul, the Bible said, eyed David from that moment on and didn't like him. And then he decided, okay, well, since you killed Goliath, well, I'm going to give you my daughter Merib. And then he says, no, nah, no, nah, she's too good. I'm going to give you Michal because she bad. Really, he said that she'll be a snare to you. I, I wrote all that out for you in the verses. And what's amazing is at the end of the day, uh, David ends up with her, and she's the one who danced. If you remember the story, David came back from the ark, and she laughed. She said, she, she mocked him. She talked about him. Why, how, could you, how could you be the king of Israel and you're dancing till your clothes fell off? You're embarrassing yourself in front of everybody. This is a woman who verbally said things that put her in a bad place. But at the end of the day, I, my big point is I want you to see he had a lot of women in his life. And if you'll notice the next two, two verses that I list for you, 
under signs. First, Second Samuel chapter 2 was the first sign. The second sign was in Second Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, where it said he, David had more wives, and their sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Hinoam, the Jezreelite. His, his second was Shilib by Abigail, and so on. Now notice in bold prints I put for you, these are the wives David had. He had Ahinoham, he had Abigail, Mekah, Haggith, Sheftalai, and Ithram. This guy already, by, I mean, in a short time, he's starting to pile up women. It doesn't stop there. Go to chapter 5. Now remember, I started in chapter 2, then I went to chapter 3. Almost every, every chapter now, we're getting more women. Chapter 2, chapter 3, now chapter 5, verse 13. And David took more what? concubines and wives. Now, a concubine is not quite a wife. That's just somebody you visit every now and then. You understand? So you got the concubines. Some of you say, oh, I was one of those, right? Okay, a concubine, a concubine or a concuman. You understand? So you, you know, you got, you, 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 you know, you got this, this, these concubines and now you got these wives and then it lists all the children and it's just like, get out of here. Some estimate he had 18 wives. I don't know, but he had a lot of them. But the list is pretty impressive and growing fast. So he could have had 18. But then here's, here's the last thing I want to say, and this is important, because the real sign that you are bedroom blind is you pass it to your children. And if you look at number four on the list, Solomon in, in 1 Kings chapter 11, he's in his 20s. Now I want you to notice David started in his 30s. He was 30 years old when he became king. And by the time he's 30, he's got three wives, and then he starts to roll them in. He's only reigning for 30-some years. I have to look it up again, but not many years. And so, you know, you're marrying every, every other year, you're marrying somebody. I mean, every, you know, you got a wedding every other year. But now, you know, kids always supersize stuff. Solomon ends up with 700 wives. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 11, I put it for you in verse 3, he had 700 wives. You see that in bold print? And he had how many concubines? 300 concubines. Now, let me read for you 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. This is the son of David. King Solomon loved many women, many foreign women. He liked them. Boy, he had Pharaoh's, women, Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, he, he wanted women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites. He liked them from all nations. He was international. <laughs> and so how does a guy who is the wisest, listen, this is so important, He's the wisest guy living. This is true. The Bible says it. He knew better. This wasn't about knowledge. This wasn't about knowledge or wisdom. This was about choice. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week. How could a guy who's godly, David, how could a guy who's godly, they got, and God embraced them? What's interesting is God didn't mock them. He embraced them. He embraced people who had bedroom blindness. He embraced them. Here's, here's what I, you, you find when you look at, at how God dealt with men in history. The Bible said that God winked on man's ignorance because there's a season people are going to be like this. He'd have to force them to not be this way. God made Adam and Eve, and that was the plan. Man and a woman get married, and that's love, and that's the relationship, and you build families, and you go forth. That's God's original plan. Now, you can rewrite the Bible, but that's what it said. 
Now, at the end of the day, it goes off chart. Now, you find them starting to marry and multiple wives and all this stuff, and they got all these, you know, we talked about Abraham the other day and how he ends up with Haggith and, and, you know, because he can't have children. So the culture said, if you can't have children with your wife, get you a maid, marry her and have her children, and then her children become your wife's children, and that's how you, and so that's what Abraham did. He, you know, that you follow the cultural guidelines. What does everybody else do? That's how we check. What does everybody else do? Well, everybody else does this, so it's got to be okay. But I argue that long-term, you see that you're blinded. When you see the long-term consequences, who's my daddy? What happened? Where'd that come from? You start trying to figure out all this stuff, and you start trying to figure out things that happened to you, and you, you just can't quite, you, why am I not faithful? Why am I not faithful to someone like my wife or my husband? Why am, I, why am I always looking around? Why am I constantly being pulled in these directions emotionally? What is it that gets you, gets you crazy? What is it that bothers you? Man, I want to be honest. Can I just be honest? Yes. You know, I, I just, um, give me my, my chair, would you, one of you guys? That for me. I, you know, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't know why. Oh, God. Why, why, do you, why, do you, why do you fight what you know? Thank you, sir. Why do you fight what you know? I mean, I mean, I was. Um, you know, I told this. Not, I told this in the men's meeting, and um, and I probably I'm gonna take a chance saying it here. Um, t- tell me, say, say it, Pastor. Come on, say it. Yeah. I don't feel encouraged. You better tell me. Come on, say, say it. There you go. All right, I'm gonna say it. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean I'm not a man. And 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 so you might would ask me if you could. Uh, do you struggle with bedroom blindness, Pastor? Have you ever struggled with it? Sure. I told you I was raised that way. I was nurtured in an environment where it was never told me that you don't do that. But what's interesting is being married to a beautiful, wonderful woman whom I love, and it's amazing how thoughts and ideas would come to my mind and try to drag me away into bedroom blindness. And it's easy to happen. Next week I'm going to explain how it happens to you. And I'll be very candid. Look, if you want to be nosy, just come to church. Just stream in. Don't miss next week. <laughs> so let me paint a scenario for you. Again, I painted it for the guys today, so I'm going to tell you, and I, you know, pray for me, but here I go. You know, you know we, we can be someplace. We, we've been a place, and it's a particular place I'm thinking in my mind. And we're walking, and I'm with my beautiful wife, and we're having a great time. And then this, this girl comes by. And, and, and she's bugging, okay, buckle up. Just, you can handle this statement. She's, she's a cute girl, right? Now, here's, here's what you can do. You can lie and say, she's ugly, she's ugly, she's ugly, she's ugly, she's ugly. But I know, I know that Diane has seen at least one guy. At least one. <laughs> that she thought was handsome. Now, Diane, just before God in heaven, have you ever been with me and seen a guy and thought that guy was handsome? Raise your hand if that's true, sister. Oh, put your finger up like this. What kind of mess is that? No, no, that's a compromise. Now, what's interesting is, so you see this person, you know, and this person, and, and you sit there, and, you, and, you, and, and here's what happens. Immediately, you start painting this lie picture. But let me, let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen somebody? Now, you know, and I, I've, I've seen people, but have you ever seen somebody, that, do you know anybody that's really cute, but they're crazy? Raise your hand if you know anybody. Raise your hand. You know somebody. Put your hands up high. Let me see. Okay, see, here's, here's the point. All of you know somebody who is, and by the way, if you couldn't see them, they all raised their hands. There's a whole bunch of them. It's really easy 
for you to identify that because you know the person. You're lied to. I'm not just preaching this to make you feel bad. I'm trying to help you understand. God wants to embrace you and say, you're being lied to. What has this done to your family? What has this done to your family? I heard one person told me the other day, they said, my, my bedroom blindness has affected all my children. You know, Dad, something was said to me when I was a freshman in college. I took a class on youth ministry. It was called youth, you know, my study was theology in my undergrad. And, I, you know, and, and one of the two professors said something that I just meant, it just really rocked me. He said, he said, your daughter will probably want to be the gir a girl, the kind of girl you like. The kind of girl you like is the kind of daughter your, your daughter's going to want to be. She, she don't, she, there's something you'll emit to her, you'll, you'll give to her. And she doesn't even know she has it. But boys see you looking. You're going to be a player, really? That's what you tell them when they're little? That's what they used to try to tell Ricky. Say, no, you better not be no player, boy. Always challenge him. Always, always, always. He's not perfect. I mean, challenge. Hey, look, man, let me talk to you. <clears throat> what do you want to be? What do you want to be? What do you want to be? When you look in the mirror, what do you want to be? Here's the deal. In this job, and that's a warning from God for you to hear. <laughs> this is a bad means a big point I'm about to make. You will never be used of God beyond a certain point if you're bedroom blind. You in business will run up against a wall if you're bedroom blinded. God's wanting to free you. In this series, there's seven questions you saw me I'm going to talk about, and you read them on your own. And there are things I'm going to talk about, but I can tell you right now, I'm going to talk about your kids. I'm going to talk about how you raise children. I'm going to talk about next week leadership and how leaders become blinded and the impact they have on people and on themselves. But at the end of the day, what you're going to learn is God cares about people who are blinded. And he doesn't look down on you. He loves you. Did this help you today? Yes. Come on, did this really help you today? Wow. I wish I had time for Q&A, but I don't. What I'm going to do is pray for you instead. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for what we've talked about. I thank you for the word, and I thank you for your people. I pray that what we've discussed has helped them inspired them and lifted them, that they'd leave this place with a vision and a perspective, that they would be open to the Holy Spirit, that God's hand and God's grace would guide them. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word that heals and blesses. Help us all. Help us all. This is the new life. This, this means I got to make some really hard choices. Do I have the courage? <laughs> yeah. I'm 
scripture. Why don't you look at me for a second? I preached on Joshua and Caleb this past week, and I talked about when you don't know what to do, the question is, one of the, one of the, one of the keys is, well, one of the questions is, do you have the courage to listen to something that's hard to hear? Joshua and Caleb could hear a hard message. Let's go take the promised land. Even though they're giants, even though it's difficult, we're going to take the promised land. The other 10 spies said no. Are you in a place you just can't hear this? You like that, like, like the guy in the song, you know, the country song, he says, she had a short dress on, tank top. I just, I just couldn't think. Are you at that place? You're just too much in love to think about what I'm saying. I go to prison and I watch men look me in my face and say, I wish, I wish I'd heard you. 10 years for some little girl that you should have walked away from. 20 years. But beyond that, let's say you never go to jail. It's being in jail in your heart. Somebody really needs to hear what I'm saying to you. I, I, would, I would have an altar call. I'm just not going to do it. I'm just not going to. I'll let, let the Holy Spirit call one. But you know this is a turning point for you. Hands lifted, please. Help us, God, hear you today. Help us be free. Help us to be holy people who say our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in me. And I hereby dedicate this body to you. And I do not want to be bedroom blinded again. Thank you for embracing me and my blindness and loving me and forgiving all of us for that lostness we face. For the men who are bound on their computers, bound in, some women are bound in the love novels, fantasizing, reading stuff that stirs up the pot. It's, it's not porn, but it's soft, it's so close. Movies we go see, scenes we can't wait till they get to them. So much stuff on television, and you see sitcoms and some of these reality shows. All they do is the soft porn. It pulls us in. It pulls us in. Let's see if they get together. Let's just watch and hope. Help us, Lord God, be free. Help us to say, no, I, I choose not to. Because I don't want to sing what I don't want to do, and I don't want to watch what I don't want to do. I don't want to say because I'm allowed to do this and I'm grown enough that I will allow my spirit to be exposed. I want to be a holy person who's victorious and free, who can look at my wife's face with honesty and with God's face with honesty, my daughter's face, my son's face, your faces. Help me, Jesus, to face myself. And help me know when I'm off. Help me know when I'm off. May I tell the truth and say I'm off. I need to pause for a minute. I need counseling. I need prayer. I need to stop going by there. I need to delete this phone number. I need to get rid of this whole web thing. It's just awful. Delete the whole thing. I don't need to chat with these people. 
the path I'm going down with them is the wrong path. I'm going to disappear. I delete it all in Jesus' name. I will just disappear from their life and reappear in a better life. For some, that is the direction. They need to get off of the whole chat. They can't, they, the whole thing has got them in the wrong place. And Lord, I pray that as they make decisions, you'd guide them and bless them. In Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. Thank you for letting me share with you. Thank you for listening. Father, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, 